Welcome to another episode of the Gay Archive Show, where we explore gay history one bar at a time. I'm your host, Art Smith, and today I am joined once again by Alan Kachin. This time, we're going to discuss his bar, Ombre, in South Beach, as well as the Fort Lauderdale Eagle. So, welcome back, Alan. Great to be here. In the in the last segment, we talked about your early years in the gay bar business in the 60s and 70s into the early 80s in Philadelphia. Um, and then you took about a 10-year break from the gay bar scene. And in 1991, you decided to retire to South Florida. Sunshine and sand and salt water. How long did that retirement gig last? Uh, three weeks. <laughs> you couldn't get the bar scene out of your blood, could you? No, I, I got to work. If I don't work, I am insane. Again, intense and focused. And I looked for several locations, and there was this small little nondescript bar on Washington Avenue, a thousand square feet. I thought it would be really simple and easy. Uh, I went in uh, at the behest of my uh, broker and sat there and, wow, you know, I've never seen bartenders like this. But must understand, in 1991, gay life was pushing South Beach to the forefront. Uh, Lincoln Road was funky. Uh, it was just coming out of this uh, Scarface kind of environment with guns everywhere. Uh, you would go to a restaurant, valet would grab your car, you'd run into the restaurant because any minute someone was going to be shot. So it was in that transitional period. And this was a time when you would have a glamorous place sitting next to a grocery store that opened up in uh, 1943. So it was a little bit of the old, a little bit of uh, the Mariel, and starting to catch on with gay people. Uh, they came down and they said, wow, this place has a great potential. And, I, and I'd like to just say this, when gay people move into an area, they do gentrify it and they make it worthwhile for whoever's left. And so that was the beginning of South Beach. And uh, glamour was very important. The A-list was very important. And the bartenders that worked at Ombre were all Ford models and uh, one other agency. I don't recall what it was, but they were all gorgeous. And that was Ombre's thing. Uh, beautiful people uh, and a lot of red. Red was the color. And uh, I kind of thought it was kind of fun. And I said, you know, this is not going to be difficult. It's small. I don't have anywhere to grow because my problem is 
if I find something, let's say a thousand feet, when I get finished, it has to be ten thousand feet. I, I, I got to expand. I get bored very quickly. So I felt that this would contain me, and in a sense it did, and in a sense it didn't. Uh, I bought it. I had it for ten years, and I enclosed the outdoor uh, parking driveway area. Uh, made an outdoor garden setting, and uh, I created something truly unique in a 1,000-square-foot uh, building. We were the only bar that was open 24 hours a day, and that was smack in the face of the city and the liquor board and everyone else. How did you manage that? Well, I can tell you now, because that was a long time ago. There was a law in Miami Beach that any establishment that had a liquor license had to be closed at 5 a.m. And when they closed at 5 a.m., the help had to be off the premise within a half hour. So you couldn't call last call at 5 of 5 and have people standing around and drinking for another hour or so. All liquor, everything had to be removed from the bar by five o'clock. Well, I met with my attorney who uh, was a very, very wise man. And I said to him, I don't understand this law. If you have to close your facility at 5 a.m. because you sell alcohol, why don't they close the hotels at 5 a.m.? He said, well, what do you mean? I said, liquor license extends to the entire premise of a hotel. If that be the case, they have to empty the hotel out at 5 a.m. And he studied that and came back about two weeks later and said, you know what? stay open tonight and i did and code enforcement was there and the law people were there and code enforcement left uh there was uh conversation on the television in the miami herald how is this bar getting away with it uh would they would you be interviewed uh we have to find out are you I think they're paying off the cops and this, that, and the other. No, I wouldn't tell anyone actually, because if that be the case, everybody would be open. Right, you'd lose and, a competitive advantage. Well, let's put it this way. I had a thousand square feet. I would have a line all the way down to 10 at five o'clock in the morning. And Ombre was quite an extreme kind of place. We had straight, gay, and everything in between. We had the A-list, the B-list, and street urchins. Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, 
Sylvester Stallone, all in this little teeny bar because nobody in Miami Beach wanted to go to bed at five o'clock in the morning. And the reason why, and they never realized it, all the people that were working in all these businesses that closed at five o'clock, these people weren't going to go home and go to sleep. They wanted to go out and relax. And Equus was the place to go. You mean so, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Equus is always in here. So I don't know if you can say it. Oh, I can. Ombre South Beach. Uh, so Ombre was quite extraordinary. And uh, it was something to behold. I was very proud of it. Now, from the sound of the name, when I first heard, uh, when you first mentioned to me that you had owned a bar named Ombre, my first thought was that it sounds like it would be kind of a Latino version of an eagle. Uh, that's kind of what I had in my head, like a macho man's bar with a little Latino spin to it. But that really wasn't what it was like, is it? Not at all. Not at all. The interesting thing about Ombre is that I designed Ombre in such a way that it was, it had no personality. It was neutral. It had no statement to make. The bartenders were beautiful. The customers were beautiful. And they were the show, not the bar. It's not like going to a fancy restaurant and looking at the, the silver and the fine china and the chandeliers at all and getting the feeling of opulence. Ombre was just there. So that was, Ombre was merchandised to be neutral. Anyone could go in there. Except the walls were red. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they were right. So it made a little bit of a statement. It's just nobody was quite sure what that statement was, but. Red is fire. Red is hot. And as they say, mucho caliente. <laughs> <laughs> so that lasted, you said, for about 10 years. So that would bring you up to the early part of uh, like 2000, 2001. 1998. Okay. And then what happened after 1998? I retired. Again? Yes. I retired. I said, you know what? I'm going to go up to Fort Lauderdale and I'm going to just take it easy. And uh, I moved up here and uh, that was two months. A little bit longer. Well, I have to say this, though. Uh, I am a man of leather. And I have been into leather since I'm 18 years old. Uh, old guard leather. And it was very interesting with having uh, Equus and Ombre and my inn and all these businesses that was not me. And 
I went into the Fort Lauderdale Eagle on a Saturday night. There were three people there. This was at 10.30. This is prime time. And I went in with a friend. And we ordered a beer. And the beer was a dollar for a Budweiser. Saturday night, 10.30, beer, a dollar. Four people. Uh-oh. Something's going wrong here. I have a bad habit. And I guess other people that are in business, you know, a restaurateur goes into a restaurant and right away redecorates it in his own mind. Uh, or an interior designer goes into a place and they redesign it in their head. Well, I do that with bars. Uh, and I went in and I said, well, if this was mine, I would da -da 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 -da. This guy walked over and he said to me, well, if you think you can do better, why don't you buy it? And I said, well, I know I could do better than this. I'm not putting you down, but you know, it's Saturday night, you only have four customers. Doing something wrong. I don't know what it is. You got the biggest parking lot in South Florida. He said, so buy it. I said, give me a price. He gave me a price. And I made him an offer. And he took it. And a couple of days later, I went in. It was a thousand square feet. And uh, we started, made lots of changes in there. And in the length of time that I had the Eagle, we went from 1,000 square feet to 5,000 square feet with five different rooms, all offering a leather ethic with the exception of one room, which I put a, a coffee room. And everyone thought I was crazy. And I said, oh, no, no, coffee is the coming thing. Not everybody wants alcohol. So we had a barista in one room with sofas. Uh, we had a code room uh, where you had to wear strict leather. And uh, I opened a 5,000 square foot leather store next to it. It's called Hardware Leather. And then had the hardware leather inside of the Eagle, and then across the street from uh, where the boardwalk bar is in uh, Fort Lauderdale now, uh, was my third store. So I had three gear stores and uh, the Eagle. That was, I would say, one of the happiest times in my life because that was my people if I could put it that way, without sounding trite. Well, a lot of people uh, who are not a part of the leather community, I think don't quite understand the camaraderie and the sense of community that the leather community expresses. Um, I know from other people I've spoken to, it's kind of like the redheaded stepchild of the gay world. 
a lot of people that are not part of the leather community just kind of put it off in a corner and say, well, they're just a little odd and they're different, whatever. But from my experience and a lot of the research I've done over the last five decades or so, the leather community has been a very important part of the gay bar scene and the gay community in general um, in the way that they take on fundraising efforts, the support they provide for the community, the good work they do. Um, and with each other, there's a bond that doesn't seem to exist in, for instance, the dance clubs. You don't walk from one dance club to another or go from one city to another and feel like you belong to the same family. But in the leather community, that seems to be very much the case, that if you were to go from your Fort Lauderdale Eagle and go up to the Chicago Eagle or the Atlanta Eagle, you are welcome with open arms, like, you know, a pillar of the community. You're, you're part of that big family. And I think that, you know, that's probably part of what, um, what you mean when you say, you know, these are my people. It was a community that you felt very strongly a part of. Well, we used to look after each other. There was a lot of, you know, as I said, I came out into the leather community when I was 18. And the gentleman that I would say with pride, he was my master, uh, he came out of the Second World War. So he had an ethic of camaraderie, of belonging. You always protected the people under you. And that's hopefully the way it still is. I know people talk old guard, new guard, and this, but a person that has it in them, not, and I always tell people, I don't wear leather, I live it. It's my lifestyle, it's my ethic, respect, responsibility, trust and honesty. That's what I live by. And I feel that is what the leather ethic is. There's nothing fake. It's not putting on makeup. It's not being something different than what you are. It's a lifestyle as opposed to, and I'm not detracting from people that wear makeup or drag queens and so forth. But I'll tell you, I was across from the stone wall when the only people that were fighting the cops were the drag queens. And believe me, all of us across the street were scared to death. So I give them the kadoos because they're the ones that really brought it to the forefront. So it has nothing to do when I say about makeup. It's like people today go into a store and they buy club clothes and they have to wear their certain clothes to their dance bar or whatever. And there are lots of people that buy leather because they look hot in it and they go dancing or whatever, but they're not leather people. And that's what confuses a lot of people today. There are those that are into leather and those that wear it. Now, the, um, as you mentioned in some of the earlier bars, 
in the leather scene, there was no dancing or whatever allowed in some of those bars. Was the Fort Lauderdale Eagle was? Did that have a dance floor? Was it only on Sunday? So one night a week, guys could go there and and dance. What type of music typically would you play on those nights? Well, we had several great DJs. Uh, Jimmy P. Uh, it was it wasn't the droning on house music, right? Uh, that they have now, which I love. I love that kind of music. Uh, it was happy music. Uh, it was a different time. Things have become angry all of a sudden with music. Uh, it's it's pounds. It just pounds. Uh, but Sunday was very popular, and we never ever forced anyone uh, when they walked in the door. And we would. I had a bus uh, go to Miami Beach. It would run three trips between Miami Beach, Lincoln Road, and the Eagle, bringing people from South Beach so that they wouldn't have to drive. And I think we charged $10 and gave a drink. So you got round trip bus service and a drink for 10 bucks. And we would bring up several hundred people. Friday night, Saturday night, we could have up to 800 people. It was a factory. But we did demonstrations. We did classes. Uh, it was more than just standing there and having a drink. But when people, we, we would tease. If somebody came in and they had cologne or a heavy perfume or something on, uh, you would hear something on the loudspeaker. You know, oh, we have some people here this evening from South Beach. Please be kind to them. <laughs> but we had a sign at our front door. We had two signs. Number one, we serve peanuts. Number two, leave your reality at the door. That's always been my view when you go to a bar. Leave your reality at the door. Go in there with the idea that you're going to have a good time. Put all your pretensions, expectations all to the side and just go in there to have a good time. And you will. And you'll meet people, you'll make friends for the rest of your life, as long as you go in there with the idea that it's going to be fun. And that's what a bar owner tries to do. So how long did you operate the Eagle in Fort Lauderdale? I closed the Eagle in 2004. Uh, there were lots of different stories why it closed, and I will be more than happy to tell you. My rent was $12,000 a month. That's a lot of drinks. Drinks at that time were not like they are today, where well drinks uh, can cost 6 7 and $8. In those days, a drink was $3. That's a lot of alcohol that you have to sell. And you have other expenses to pay besides your rent. You have insurance. 
electric, uh, help, labor costs, cleaning, repairs. So to have that kind of rent was prohibitive for this one reason. My landlord said, you know, you're doing real well. I'm taking your rent up to $20,000 a month. And I said, well, I'm not signing the lease. And that was it. I walked out the door. I'm sure I that was terrible about it, but you know, what can you do? That must have been a difficult decision. Well, I mean, I didn't feel like continuing with the business. That there there were there were several other extenuating circumstances. Uh, the city of Fort Lauderdale uh, hired a uh, captain to run the vice squad who was told don't bother the straight clubs. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to use the word they use, uh, but the gay bars, you know, those fringe clubs, you know, hit them because nobody really cares about them anyway. And so uh, they raided uh, Chaps, which is where the jackhammer, uh, that was the last iteration there. Uh, they raided uh, the ramrod and they were going to raid me, but a friend in the police department um, gave me a call. So we kind of made it quite vanilla, turned on all the lights. And uh, I think by that time, people were getting the message uh, that you couldn't go to these places and feel comfortable. And let's be serious. There are lots of people that go to leather bars that might be leather at night, but they're something else during the day. Right. Could be attorneys, doctors, corporate yeah. officials. There's no telling. Oh, could be police too. School teachers. Exactly. So when something, when the reign of terror starts, I said, well, I have to put up with this. You know, I have a big nut to crack to begin with. And then my customer base is going to drop. You know, the ramrod was one-tenth the capacity of the Eagle. And I had to do volume in order to, to make it. You know, if you have a little bar and a low uh, cost of doing business, you can stay in business forever. You just grind it along. But when you have a big place, you need to move money. And you need an environment that's conducive to that. And at that time, Fort Lauderdale was not. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's kind of unfortunate that it, you know, still in the in the 2000s was happening. And I know there was a similar situation, which I'm sure that you were probably familiar with. Um, four or five years after you closed the um, Eagle in Fort Lauderdale, the Eagle in Atlanta was raided. And that was a huge scandal. I think there was a lot of money paid out um, as a result of the lawsuits against the police for, for that action. But uh, unfortunately, 
even moving into the later part of the 2000s, we were still seeing that kind of activity from police, even in cities like Atlanta, where it was so liberal. I mean, Atlanta's had dozens of gay bars for decades. And the Eagle was located on the edge of Midtown, which is the gayest part of of Atlanta. And yet they still suffered that kind of treatment from the from the police. So I can understand how that would have been particularly difficult um, in Fort Lauderdale. Do you think that had some effect on why so many of the gay bars kind of shifted to the Wilton Manors area was because of that type of police activity in in Fort Lauderdale itself? No, no, I don't. When George's Alibi opened, uh, that was uh, 97. Georgie said to me, come to Wilton Drive. You know, it's really, it's blue collar. A piggly wiggly went out of business there. For those that don't know what piggly wiggly is, it's the lowest tier supermarket in the South. Uh, It was a very distressed area. It was crack town. Uh, there was a dilapidated uh, trailer park. So Wilton Manors was not a fabulous place. One of my bartenders from Equus, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, from Ombre, had a bar in Wilton Manors in the shopping center where Hunter's is now. It was called Singapore. And every once in a while, they would try to open up something gay, and it it never went. It was just not the proper area. Georgie opened up, and I said, no, (laughs) I don't want to be in the middle of people. This is not the kind of bar that you want to be in the middle of people. You want to be off to the side. You want to be left alone. You don't want to bring attention. Something on the street. Yeah, certainly. I mean, a guy wants to wear chaps. He doesn't want to wear underneath anything underneath. You can't do that on a street like Wilton Drive or in Atlanta in the downtown section. That's why leather bars have always been over there. Over there. So I decided I didn't want to go to Wilton Drive. And what happened is this. Georgie pushed and pushed and pushed and did an exemplary job. And then you have to remember that there are lots of extenuating circumstances in all of South Florida, all going on at the same time. Because as South Beach was dying, because by the time I didn't renew my lease in South Beach, The gay bars, Paragon was gone. Torpedo was gone. The Warsaw was gone. It was only twist. They kept raiding the bars. Get rid of these people. They had an election. A gay guy, who I will not name, ran against uh, the mayor, who got 98% of the vote. I said to him, don't run. 
they're going to find out that gay people only vote if the voting machine is in a gay bar at four o'clock in the morning. They are not going to go and vote. Forget it. Don't do this. Don't run. We are a paper tiger. The city does not know how powerful the gay community is. They see all these gay businesses opening up and bringing lots of business, but that's not where they want to go. They want to go to making Lincoln Road another mall with cookie cutter stores. And they started doing that, raiding all the bars, closing them down because after this election, the mayor got 99% of the vote. And then the city realized that we were all a bunch of hot air. We had no power whatsoever. Our community didn't support us. So a lot of us closed or put out a business. And then what happens? People flee. And when businesses move, the community is sure to follow. It's always the businesses, whether they be gay bars or gay stores or gay restaurants or whatever, wherever they start to open, the community builds around it. And as the people from New York said, let's go to Florida, my God, you know, we just sold our condo in New York and we can buy not only a house in the Wilton Manors area, but landscape it to death, buy an automobile and 20 wardrobes of clothes and still have money in our pocket. And that created the building boom. That's what made Mil Wilton Manors what it is today. South Beach going down the drain for the gay community, Miami with maybe today one gay bar and centered it all in Wilton Manors. But I will say this, when the Fort Lauderdale Eagle was open, the Ramrod and Chaps, the three of them created a super mall. The Ramrod was an anchor, Chaps was in the middle, and the Eagle was the other anchor. Those three bars brought people from Tampa, Jacksonville, Key West, Europe, South America, here. All of the guest houses did plenty of business from leather community. And when that ended, it started to go down until everyone decided, well, the rent's cheap on Wilton Drive. Let's go and open a bar. Now the rents are ridiculous. And that area, go ahead. I'm sorry. That area has definitely gentrified over the last 10 or 15 years to the point where it's almost unrecognizable. Um, a lot more gay bars, gay friendly restaurants. Um, in fact, at one point, not too long ago, didn't they have pretty much 100% gay representation in the city council there? Yes, I think there's only one straight person now. I'm not sure. And and not too long ago, the mayor was gay as well, wasn't he? Wilton Manor's mayor. No, so I, I give him a great deal of credit. 
and I, and I and I'll tell you something. I really feel for every one of those business owners on that street, because when you think about it, not just the competition, but the rents that they have to pay, and most of these places, two for one drinks, or they have nights that they practically give the drinks away. You got to pay your bills, and and it's and it's a difficult thing. It's just you know. It gets to the point where the equilibrium is destroyed. The business tries to survive to maintain the community. Because I'll tell you, if there's no gay businesses on Wilton Drive, how long are the people that live in the periphery going to be content just living there and not having that environment? Right. Because even though those gay people that have homes there, don't go, let's say, to Wilton Drive every day. It's there, though. Right. And if they want to walk out their door, it's there. And if they want to go to a coffee shop with their husband or wife or partner, they can do that. If they want to go to a romantic dinner for their anniversary, it's right there. And they know they're not going to be looked down upon because a majority of that neighborhood is already accepting of the fact that that is what that neighborhood is now. So you know, I, I don't go out very often, and I and you know I'm not much for going out to restaurants and so forth. But I wonder now, you know, South Florida, I guess is the same as anywhere else in the world. It's all about money. That's why businesses are in business to make money. I cannot. I don't think if two women or two men went into any restaurant in South Florida, now I mean a real restaurant, I'm not talking about one of these little mom and pop restaurants, but you know, a True Loves or a whatever. I don't even know who's open. So many places have gone out of business in the last year. But they sat and they held hands. I don't think anybody would care. That may not be the same thing in Iowa. But down here, no, I don't think, I think it's gotten to the point where a lot of gay people think, I don't need to go to a gay bar. I can go to a straight bar. I can go to a straight restaurant. That's unfortunate, you know, because one thing it does, it does not permit the younger people that are just coming in to their awareness of who they are. It doesn't give them an opportunity to find themselves because you're certainly not going to go into a straight bar and say hey i think i'm gay can i talk to someone about that right, so naturally right. they're going to have to go to a gay bar or at least hope that gay bars are there to do that and well, that's something there, is some hope. there is some hope there's, glad a, there's a new one um i had interviewed one of the owners a couple of weeks ago there's a new one that just opened in Manhattan, which is a um, four-story mega club called the Q, which stands for queer, um, that has a 3,000-square-foot dance floor on the top floor. Um, they offer Sunday brunch. They have a cabaret. Uh, they have a men's cruising area, um, all kinds of different elements to this bar uh, right on 8th Avenue in New York. 
and from following their social media, they opened a week and a half ago. And every single night, they're open seven days a week. Every single night, they've been packed. And they've gotten all kinds of rave reviews from everybody around, which is a big undertaking. Like you said, if they had opened up a thousand square foot club somewhere in Manhattan, you could keep that open, you know, just by having a couple family members drop by for a beer. But when you're talking about a multi-level mega club, that's when it really starts to get challenging. But apparently it was a big success there. And my understanding is also that in, um, in Los Angeles, the former location of Rage, which was, um, was there for decades, is being redeveloped now. And Lance Bass and a couple of business partners are planning on opening another big gay club right there in West Hollywood. So there is some hope that there may be some fresh blood in the gay bar scene. But we'll just have to hope that it continues to prosper. And I think there'll always be gay bars. There will always be gay bars. It just depends on what the demographics are and who supports them. I would love to reopen the Eagle. I mean, that's a dream. I am 79 years old. Uh, my brain is 18 years old. Uh, and I think about it every day. Uh, and I know it would be exceptional. And that's because there hasn't been real, real, authentic, dedicated leather in South Florida since 2004. Which is when you closed the Eagle. So if you were to open it again, I know you'd want to have a partner to work with you. Uh, probably somebody a little bit younger who could carry it on for decades into the future. Exactly. Where would you place it? Where do you think you would go? Would you go back to somewhere near where your Eagle was? Or would you pick a different neighborhood? Would it be in Fort Lauderdale? Uh, either Fort Lauderdale or Oakland Park. More in an industrial area. Somewhere off the beaten path. Yeah, well, certainly. And, and where you can have a lot of parking. I, I look at it this way. Uh, I have 50 years experience in the bar business. And I've been very good in business. I would love this to be my legacy, to give this to someone. And I, if I can find the investor or investors, no more than two or possibly three that really have their heart in it, I will create for them a winning solution and something that they can be proud of and something that when my time comes. I didn't understand that. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. For some reason, now my phone's talking to me. Um, where was I? That I could leave a legacy and they would have a business that would go forward that they could be proud of using my 50 plus years of experience in the business. 
That's how I I will make sure at the end of this segment to put up your contact information so that people who watch this and have an interest will be able to reach out and send you an email and say, Hey, Alan, you know, I want to be a part of the next generation of the South Florida Eagle. And, um, you know, maybe someone will come along and you'll be able to, to see that dream come to life and have another Eagle in South Florida. I would love that. I mean, I'm content now, but, you know, I, I think, I think the timing is right. It's 17 years. It seems like yesterday, but 17 years and the leather community has lost. And I'm not just saying because of the Eagle, the leather community that's in South Florida, they don't have the, the center, the, the gravitational point that brings us all together. We had all these various groups and clubs. Uh, we had foot fetish night. I mean, those that were into that, wonderful. But they had their space. And they could go and whatever they do, they do. And they felt comfortable. And I think that there's a time that you want to dance. And there's a time that you want to have an emotional experience. And I know that being in this lifestyle from the very beginning of my cognizant life uh, has made me what I am today. And I'm quite proud of that. Like I said in our first interview, I have never come out. I find it totally unnecessary to tell anyone what, what my proclivity is. It's none of their business. And that's the way life should be. People should mind their own business. You live your life, I live my life. You go to your bar, I go to my bar. You know, you want to come to my bar, just show me respect. That's all. Plain and simple. I think you're doing a great job. And I think this is very important for people to hear these things from all these people from the past. Because we lived through all this turmoil and still look back on it and say, wow, that was a great time. A great time. I'd do it again. Absolutely. So I want to thank you. It means a lot to me sitting here with you today. And I know it means a lot to all the other people that you've spoken to. Well, I appreciate you taking your time to take this little step down memory lane with us and kind of share some of the stories and let people know a little bit about some of the clubs that, you know, they may have loved and are no longer around for them. So it's really a pleasure talking to you about, about these clubs. And I wish you all the best with your hopes and dreams for a South Florida Eagle. We'll have to keep in touch and see if that happens. Please do. Thank you. Thank you, Alan.
concludes another segment of the Gay Archives podcast. You can find more podcasts at gaybarchives.com slash podcast. We also have more information about this podcast and links to the other podcasts we have completed. We hope you enjoy your trip down memory lane.